Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Welcome again to Christ Church. Uh, my name is Michael, and I have the privilege of being part of the ministry team around here. And uh, the opportunity, we'll call it an opportunity, to talk to you today about James chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to James 5, 1 through 11. That will be the primary place we're going to be camping out for the morning. And as you turn there, I, I just got to be honest with y'all, I got to start with a little bit of an admission here. This has been, uh, I think it's probably safe to say, not an exaggeration, the hardest sermon I've ever had to try to put together. I didn't necessarily expect it to be what it was, but it was what it was. I find the topic of today very difficult to talk about well. We're talking about justice. Uh, We're in this series on James, and we're wrapping it up by looking at real-life justice as a part of this real-life wisdom that we gain from this book of James that is practical and in your face and at times really encouraging and at times really challenging. And and just justice is, is hard to talk about well. And Mark knows that, um, that uh, whenever I hear other people talk about justice, preach about, teach about, sometimes even just converse about justice in the context of the church, he knows I kind of often get really annoyed because I don't think people do it well. I don't think people do the topic justice. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> he knows this. And so whenever we were uh, prep- prepping this series, I remember the first meeting, he looks over at me and he says, you got the justice one, put up or shut up. <laughs> and he didn't exactly say that, but that was the spirit of what he was saying. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I didn't say I could do it well. I just like complaining about them, you know. Um, I just, it's just a hard, a hard thing in my mind to discuss. I mean, on the one hand, I don't think the call to justice is an optional thing. I think it's a necessary thing for anybody who wants to say I'm a follower of Jesus. I think it's, it's on the must list. It's on the have to list, not the can do list. I mean, you read through the Old Testament, it's everywhere. In the law and the Psalms and the prophets, I don't think you could turn five pages in the book of Psalms or in any of the prophets and not encounter some kind of a call for justice or a cry for justice or rebuke on God's people for not pursuing justice. It's everywhere. A couple of the prophets, two, three of them actually go out, go off on Israel at different points, bringing a message from God where God is saying to the people of God, I hate your worship services. I hate your sing songs and your dances and your festivals because you're acting like you like me. You're talking about how you worship me, but you're neglecting justice for the orphan and the widow and the oppressed and the refugee and the economically poor. So he says, it's like vomit. I just want to spit it out of my mouth. It's a ringing in my ears that is painful. Just, just stop with it. The prophets bring, bring the noise in this regard. They say this very clearly, but it's not just the Old Testament either. It's not just something we can say, well, that was an issue back then. Jesus himself says pretty clearly, I'm bringing a good news for the poor. Um, That's what I'm here for. So if our good news isn't good news for the poor, it's not not the good news of Jesus. There's a gap there between the two. We've got to be mindful of this. And James, for his part, has been pretty consistently clear. I don't know if you've been reading along, but he multiple times will bring up issues of, of rich and poor and poverty and justice and these various things. Right out of the gate, the end of the first chapter, he says, if you want to know what God's looking for, James 1, 27, he says, if you want to know what God's looking for, here's religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Look after the widows and orphans in their distress and keep yourself from being polluted by the world. Right there at the top. And in the next chapter, we looked at this real-life faith, this real-life trust, a life of faith that actually demonstrates itself in, in actions. If you're wondering about the economic dimension, James brings it in right there. Remember back in chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, he says, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. They don't have enough. 
They're without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well-fed, James says, but you do nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So concern for the poor is not an option for us. It's a necessity. You can no more be a Christian who isn't concerned for the poor, isn't concerned about poverty and justice. You can no more be that than you can be a, a Christian who isn't concerned about worshiping God or, or praying or meditating on the scriptures or trying to be patient. I mean, it's just there. It's necessary. So on the one hand, it's a necessary thing. On the other hand, it's, it's complicated. How this works out in our world is it's just complex. It's not easy. And I'll just say most of the time for me, when I get a chance to, to preach or to teach here or elsewhere, usually I have a pretty decent confidence that, that my life is backing up my words, that there's an alignment between what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Not perfect by any means on any of these things, but most of the time I feel like, yeah, I mean, what I'm saying, I can kind of watch my life. You'll see this played out imperfectly, but, but pretty well, played out pretty well. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I can say that when it comes to this particular issue of justice. I just, I'm, I'm not there. And I'm not trying to do anything wrong. That's not the issue. I just personally don't know what to do with the Bible's consistent call for justice. I so wish I could tell you I'm an expert. I so wish I could say, just come hang out with me for a few days and you'll get a picture of what it looks like to, looks like to live out the Bible's call for justice. But I can't say that. I'm sure part of it is my sin. I'm aware of these things. But honestly, I think most of it is more just a result of the fact that this stuff is complicated. I don't know what to do. Should I shop at Walmart or should I not, you know? Should I only go to flea markets and co-ops? Can I shop anywhere as long as I buy American? And how about some of the stuff going on? I don't know where. How about sweatshops? You hear these stories. You see these pictures. I see these kind of pictures and I think to myself, I don't, I don't know this person. I don't know this woman. I don't know how old she, or young she is. I don't know if she has a husband, maybe some kids or an extended family to take care of. I don't know uh, what her working conditions are. I don't know what her wages are. I have no idea what actually is happening in her life. And let's just assume the worst on all these things. I don't know how to help. What do you want me to do? Like hashtag something? Hashtag human rights? Hashtag pro-poor? Like what does that do for anybody? You know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be harsh, but what, what do we do? Do we boycott? And if it's successful, then what? Where does she find herself? Unemployed? Like I just, it's, it's just, again, complicated not easy solutions to some of these things. And then what about my own family? Like, are we allowed to save up money to take the kids to Disney World? Or should we only always donate that money towards those that aren't thinking about the magic kingdom because their primary concern is where to find drinkable water? I mean, are we just supposed to look at the world and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to sell everything we have and give it to those less fortunate than us. And if we do that, can we like stay at your house tonight? <laughs> because we're going to need a place to sleep. It's just... I don't like admitting this. This is not a comfortable thing for me, but I find myself at a loss because the Bible's call for justice is clear and consistent, but applying this call today is complicated. Man, do you, you guys feel me on this? Are you with me on this? It's just, you, you wrestle with these things. I mean, one solid look at our world is enough to depress anyone if you look closely enough. And maybe like me, you hear these stories, these reports, you hear these statistics, and I know what they say about statistics I'm well aware that the numbers can lie, but they can also expose uncomfortable truths if they're anywhere close to the truth. And so you hear things like one billion people in our world don't have adequate access to water, or two and a half billion people in our world lack access to basic sanitation. 65% of the world's poor live on less than $2 a day, and 30% live on less than $1 a day. The poorest 40% of our world, almost half of our world, the poorest 40% of our world is said use about 5% of its resources, while the richest 20% consume 75% of the same. 
27%, over a quarter of the children in developing countries are malnourished and underweight. And even in America, 50 million families struggle to put food on the table on a regular basis. Like I said, I know the statistics can lie, but they can also expose uncomfortable truths. These aren't just numbers. These are people. And if it's anywhere close to accurate, this, this is a problem. Real people like me and my wife and kids and you and your families and friends and our neighbors and the people that we know. And I'd imagine that you hear this stuff or see this stuff and you've heard and seen these things before. You hear these things and you think, this is not okay. You see this and you think, God is, God's not pleased with this. Something has to give Maybe your heart breaks and you want to be faithful. Something has to be done. But what? But what? And when in doubt, I've learned that it's always best to just lean into the scriptures, lean into what God has revealed and see what he has to say to us there. So what we're going to do this morning is we're not going to try to say everything that needs to be said about justice, but we're going to try to say a few things well. That's our goal. We're going to try to say a few things well. So if you would uh, turn your attention to James chapter 5, 1 through 11, I just want to read together uh, what he writes as he moves toward the end of this, this powerful letter. James chapter 5, verse 1. It says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. <laughs> That's a way to start for the record. Everybody say, dang. You don't have to say that. I'm just kidding. That's what I say, though, when I read this. Wow. Verse 2, your wealth has rotted and your moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Verse 7, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who've persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And there you have it. You've heard the old line that if you want to preach a popular sermon, you've got three good options. Talk about sex, talk about heaven, and talk about whether there'll be sex in heaven. You know, anybody wants to listen to those. I think this is kind of like the, the opposite of that. If you want to preach an unpopular sermon, you've got three good options. Talk about money, talk about hell, and talk about how your money might get you to hell. <laughs> I mean, what the... I'm just kidding. <laughs> so let's break it down a little bit. And let's not mince words, because James certainly doesn't. Two unmistakable points here that we, we cannot miss. We cannot ignore these truths jumping off the page. First one is, number one, those who indulge and exploit will be punished. Those who indulge and exploit will be punished. Please make, make no mistake, this much is clear. The people that James is talking to had better watch out. Remember how he began, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Who, who are we talking about? Seems like an important question. Who, who are we addressing? I mean, most of us in this room will be characterized as, as rich if you take a global view of things. I mean, if you have extra anything, extra food, extra clothes, extra cars, for that matter, if you have enough of anything of these things, you, you find yourself on the upper level of, of economic prosperity when it comes to comparing ourselves to the rest of the world. So is it all of us in here? 
Or is it just some of us that may be a little bit higher up on that top shelf than others? Who was James talking to in his world? Who does this address in our world? And at this point, here's what makes me nervous about this. At this point, when we start to talk about who these are, all of our defenses start to come up. Most of us, when we hear these things, we have this tendency to say, it's probably somebody else, but it's probably not me. And as I've prayed over this text and I've prayed over this moment, the thing that I've been most concerned about is that we might fall into that trap of thinking, well, it's certainly not me because of this. So if I could, I would just like to pause right here and pray and, and voice a prayer that I hope is on behalf of the room where we ask God to open up our hearts and minds so that we might actually hear and see what God wants us to hear and see. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are, we are here to some degree because we're interested in you. Because we want to be faithful to you. No doubt to differing degrees. You know our hearts on this. A lot of us are here because we want more than, more than anything else to, to, to know that we're faithful, to know that we're living obedient lives, and, and to know that we're, we're, we're listening to your voice. And when it comes to these kinds of things, God, it's hard for us. You know this. It's hard for us to acknowledge, to admit. And I don't, you know, I don't know who needs to hear what today. You do. You know what I need to hear today, and you know the same for each individual person in the room, each family in the room, each group of friends in the room, each company in the room. You know this, Lord, so please, please break down our defenses. Soften our heart. I hope I pray for the room when I say soften our heart, open our minds. Let us let this text read us even as we read it, and let's proceed accordingly. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. As we talk about who we're talking about here, let's just look at the text closely again, because I think James gives us some clues along the way puts a finer point on things than just saying rich. Look at the first couple verses again, verses two and three. He says, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. You've got so much stuff, it's fallen apart. He says, your gold and silver are corroded. It's rusting. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. So there we see we're talking about people who take more than they need. People who take more than they need. People who have so much stuff, their stuff rots from lack of use. He calls them hoarders, but don't go to like the extremes on the TV show. This isn't only people who fill their showers with toilet paper. You know what I mean? It, don't just go there. This is, he, this is people who take more than they need as evidenced by the fact that their stuff's falling apart. He says to people who have too much stuff to actually use, the rust on your things testifies to your folly. Think about what he's saying here. If you put your trust and if you put your hope and if you put your emphasis and your focus on things that corrode, their corrosion becomes a sign of your foolish decision. I don't know if this is the best analogy, but it's sort of like a drunk tattoo. You know what I mean? Not that anybody here knows about this sort of thing, but sort of like a drunk. You want a tattoo of Mark Wahlberg on your neck? What? It becomes like an eternal sign for all to see, or maybe not eternal, but at least lifelong sign for all to see your wis- lack of wisdom and self-control on display. Now, I think I've seen most of the necks in the room, and I've never seen Mark Wahlberg, so your necks are probably fine. But how about your closets? How about your pantries? How about your attics? How about your accounts? Now, I'm not trying to pry inappropriately, but I think it's important for us to crack open some of these places and at least tell the Holy Spirit, say what you want to me, please. At least to open this up to God. You don't have to expose your soul to me. I wouldn't advise hiding from God. People who take more than they need. He goes on to talk more in the next verse 4. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So we're talking about people who take advantage of others, people who don't pay their workers their due. 
Here's, here's what it probably looked like in James's world. You have an agricultural society, so a lot of your wealth is determined by your family's land and, and what you can make off of that. Not entirely, but to, to a large degree. And so maybe you own a little land over here uh, that your family's had for, for generations, but there's this wealthier land over across here who's kind of been growing and growing and growing, has the politicians in his back pocket, those kind of things. And you've got a rough crop season, so you've got to sell off a portion of your land to him. And slowly but surely, you have to sell off more and more and more until in order to avoid bankruptcy, you have to sell the whole thing to him, at which point you become an employee on your own land when he wants you to be. He goes to the line where people line up and says, who wants to work today? And you raise your hand, asking for the opportunity to work the land that your family owned for generations, and he can pay you what he wants, and he can pay you if he wants. That's the situation that we're in. And James looks down on this situation and says, you're at the mercy of the powerful, And sometimes the powerful would rather dine in style than give you the food you've worked for so that you can put food on your table. That's what it looked like then. What does it look like today? How about us? How about you? Let's start with this. Are you paying your employees what they've earned? Are you you caught up on your child support? And let's be sure to zoom out, by the way, and get the entire picture of Scripture, the entire mind of God on this issue, because James is focusing on money, but God's concern for the poor parallels his protection of the orphan, the widow, the refugee, you name it. Anyone who lacks social or physical or financial power to take care of themselves. And if you are taking advantage of someone else's weakness in any way, you are being warned by God in no uncertain terms through the words of James. So are you using your physical strength to protect or to prowl? And how about your social clout? No matter your age, your current life situation, how about your verbal abilities? You got a quick wit? Are you funny? Can you put words together well? Are you using those things to benefit those who can't? Are you using them to cut others down so that you can raise yourself up? That's the issue here. People who take more than they deserve and people who who mistreat those who can't take care of themselves. And for good measure, he throws in verse 5, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. We're talking about people who live in luxury and self-indulgence. People who never tell themselves no. These are folks who have more than enough resources and they take advantage of this fact for their own personal pleasure. They often go above and beyond what is actually needed just, just to satisfy their every whim. One more vacation, one more house, one more boat, one more latte. Why not? What maybe, maybe the proper question is why, and if the only answer is always because I want it, then, then beware, then be warned. So what does it like, look like in our world? Could this be me or you? I, I don't know, but don't too quickly say it's not me. Don't too quickly say it's definitely someone else. Given the stakes, it's probably worth thinking about for a while, honestly and patiently and carefully. I've never met anybody who thinks they're too greedy, but certainly some of us actually are. And if this is you, if you find yourself prodded by the Holy Spirit, if you find yourself uncomfortable, if you see things come to your mind, it may be God saying, pay attention. If this is you, in some form or fashion, consider yourself warned by this passage because in case weep and wail because of the misery coming upon you isn't descriptive enough, James just takes off from there. He says in in verse three, "Your, your corroded goods will eat your flesh like fire. Now, is the fire like literal fire or is it like a metaphorical fire? I don't know, and I certainly don't want to find out. And then in verse 4, he says, the cries of those you've wronged have reached the ears of the Lord. What does he say? Almighty. Why not just say reach the ears of the Lord? Why say almighty? Because almighty is a fighting title. 
You've heard the Hebrew, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of heaven's armies. This is a description of God that depicts him at the head of an army you don't want to face. And this is a text saying to us, if you are an abuser of the weak in any form or fashion, then God is against you, he opposes you, and he will defeat you. And what you may look to as a sign of your strength will be shown up as a symbol of your coming destruction. James is clear. And in case you missed the the, the metaphors, he adds in verse 5, you're like a calf fattened for the day of slaughter. My word, if you like to think of God as nothing more than a nice guy with a wimpy handshake, you do not like James chapter 5. Because that is not the depiction of God that is clearly revealed to us here in this scripture. See, rich people in James' day loved to throw these big parties, these feasts. Bring in the fattened calf for all my fancy friends. And God says, that dead cow will be you. Deep circles of hell are reserved for those who abuse their power over others. And just in case we're tempted to think, oh, it's a long ways away, he throws in there, verse 9, the righteous judge is standing at the door. Those who indulge and exploit will be punished. I take no pleasure in saying these things, but I feel responsible to the text. Those who indulge and exploit will be punished. But The second truth that jumps off the page is those who persevere in faith will be rewarded. Those who persevere who stick it out in faith and trust in God will be rewarded. I know there are some people in the room today who are in pain because other people have taken advantage of you. And so to those who are hurting because somebody else is is, is profiting off of your weakness, this text brings a personal word of comfort. God hears you. He sees you. He hears you just like he heard the cries of his people in slavery in Egypt. He hears, and just like then, he will judge your oppressors. He hears, and he will reward your patient faith. And to those in the room, and I know there's a lot of you, who are people of resources, people of means, people of power, and you're tempted to use your resources and power to exploit and indulge, just satisfy your every whim. You're tempted to do this, but you choose not to. You've restrained yourself from doing so. You've learned to say no to yourself at times so that you can do the right thing. This text also brings you a clear message. Your obedience is a good idea. It's going to be worth it in the end. Well done. Patience. Patience anchored in eternity is always the antidote to greed rooted in anxiety. So trust God and keep trusting him. Persevere in waiting on his timing. We are not a people who take as much as possible. We are a people who wait as long as necessary. And all who take the longest view of things and act accordingly will spend eternity celebrating the wisdom of the decisions that they're making today. James gives us three examples of this. He says, you're like the patient farmer who waits for the valuable crop. Oh yeah, he and his family may go without seconds and thirds for a time, but they'll be taken care of in the end. You too, be patient and stand firm. He says, you're like the prophets who spoke God's truth even when it wasn't popular. Yeah, they suffered then, but they're smiling now. You're like Job who persevered and was blessed for the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And notice the thread between these three examples, the the, the farmers, the prophets, and Job who persevered. The thread between these three is that you can't make sense of the story from the middle of it. It won't work. If the story has 15 chapters, you can't just look at chapter 8 and see how the story resolves. you got to read all the way to the end. Few truths are are easier to forget in the course of our daily routine, and few truths are more important for us to remember than the fact that we are a people who evaluate life in light of eternity. Our view of today, our perspective on on today, is is not by virtue of today alone. Our perspective on today is not even anchored in next week or next year or the next phase of my life. Our view of today takes its cues from forever and ever. 
We view life from the perspective of eternity. And that's where I think we start to get at the heart of this text. Now, I pray to God for his glory and the health of this church that I'm not dumbing this down. I hope I'm not blunting the sharp edges of this passage. But if I could try to isolate what I think James is saying to us in one sentence, what he's saying is simply this. We must bring eternity to the forefront of our finances. Not just somewhere on the list. Not just something that we occasionally think about. When it comes to how we give and save and spend our money, what we do with the money that comes through our hands or may come through our hands, we must first ask eternal questions of these things if we're to be faithful to the God who gave us everything we have. We have to manage our money with an eye to eternity, with eternity in mind. I just want to acknowledge this is is often not how we do it. It may be on the list, but it's often not the top concern. Often we manage our money with the bills in mind. Or we manage our money with our dreams in mind. Now please hear me saying this clearly. These things are fine and good in their proper place. Fine and good. They're okay and they're what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to try to pay the bills. That's part of honoring God. You're supposed to enjoy the gifts that God has given you. That's part of what God has given us things. He makes it very clear in his word that he's given us things so that we might enjoy them. So these things are fine and good in their proper place. But their proper place is not at the top. They're a concern for sure, but they're not a primary concern. They're not where we start. Did you see that James doesn't even actually tell anybody what to do? Did you notice this? He doesn't say, here's here's step one, here's step two, here's step three. Follow my program. That's not how he operates. What he says instead is, here's where the story's going, just so you know. And then he invites us to take stock in that light, take inventory, do an eternity audit, assess the situation, run the numbers, review the facts. Fact. I will one day stand before a righteous judge who cares about how I live my life and I will answer for how I have spent my money. The situation is fairly clear. Indulgence now and eternal judgment or patience now and eternal reward. Those are the options you're free to choose. In terms of where we go from what we do with this, I've tried to make clear that the last thing I'm qualified to do is tell you what to do. That would be silly but I do think I have a responsibility and an ability to help us think through some of these things. I do think I can raise some issues maybe that we could talk about, think about together and try to discern what God would have us do. You might see on there, if you have the notes thing in front of you, that there's some action steps to consider. I want to present some things to you and I want to tell you what these are. These aren't everybody should go do all these things. These are think about them, talk about them. Think about them, talk about them. Think about them as we go through them. Talk about them later. We're actually going to give you an opportunity in the service today to write down on a sheet of paper, here's what I think God's calling me to do, and then to put that in the, in the bag so we can pray about you later. So for right now, here's what I want you to think about these things and talk about them as, as families or as groups of friends or as communities or as life groups or as coworkers, whatever it is. Here's some things that we might want to think about in terms of living out this call of what we see in this text. First one is, honestly assess if anyone is harmed by your gain. Honestly assess does me getting what I'm getting necessarily bring harm to somebody else? Because that's what was going on in James 5. And chances are for most of the answers, no, but honestly assess it. Think about it long enough to give it a good, good, solid thought. Dig deep, do some research, ask around, figure out where your money's coming from and who might be harmed by that. Honestly assess if anyone is harmed by your gain. Secondly, keep an eye on what you buy but don't enjoy. It's perfectly fine. The Bible doesn't teach that you're not allowed to enjoy stuff. If you need a verse on this, 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul says, God has richly provided us with everything for our enjoyment. He means for us to enjoy the gifts he's given. That's part of why they're called gifts. But what's not okay is for us to get stuff that we're supposedly going to enjoy and then just let it go to waste. 
That's what James is talking about. Having extra stuff, the enjoying of which we can't even get to. (laughs) Go through your closet. Go through your cupboard. That's what I'll be doing. Go through your accounts. If you've got extra, give it away. Maybe give more than the extra. It might be good for your soul. Let the Spirit guide you in what to do and then change your habits if you need to. Number three, hear what I'm saying. Please don't hear me saying anything I'm not. Uh, Make wages an issue you care about. Please don't politicize my point and therefore stop the conversation before it starts. I'm not talking about some sort of a partisan program or issue or anything of that nature. I'm just saying some of y'all are in positions of influence in the schools, in your companies, in your workplaces, maybe in our communities at large. Maybe you sit on councils, you're in decision-making type meetings, Ornogo, Web City, Carl, Carthage, Joplin, Pittsburgh, wherever. And if you can somehow make an impact, if you can use your social power, which, by the way, God has given you to be used to glorify him, if you can somehow use your influence to make changes that align with the spirit of James 5, awesome. Awesome. Do it. I think that's why God's put you there. These last two are a bit more personal. Number four, move from the mentality that says, I want one more, to the mentality that says, uh, I need one less. So you, you get the idea. I probably don't need much commentary. One more, pick your poison. One more book, drink, piece of clothing, toy, whatever it may be. Move from this mentality toward the mentality that says, I could purchase this, but I, I don't need it. I'm okay. Move from greed towards simplicity and, and contentment. And understand the, the wording here is intentional. I'm not saying move from one to the other. Because it's not like there's a line in the middle and we all fall in one group or the other. The question is, what direction are you going? Are you moving towards contentment and simplicity or away from it? And the last one is this. Give up so you can give away. Give up something so that you can give away something. Keep going from this attitude that says, get everything you can and let them worry about themselves to get what you need and then give them the rest, whoever them happens to be. What can you give up so that you can give it to, else, to someone else who may need it more than you? Again, I'm not the one to tell you what to do on this, but I will say this. The scriptures are filled with wisdom. The Bible has all sorts of important truth on this stuff. Read this book, meditate on it, pray over it, and proceed accordingly. Whatever you do, don't do nothing. Here's what we're going to do right now. Uh, Here in a few moments, we're going to take up an offering. And it's not one of those things where it's like we waited till the end to take the offering on the day we talked about money so that you'd give more. That is not, that's not the idea of this. We're not trying to manipulate anybody. Um, What we want you to do, though, here in a few moments when we do that is certainly give whatever you give, whatever you think God's called you to give, just like every week. But in addition to, or maybe in place of, if you don't have or don't feel, you know, whatever, if you're not giving financially today, what we want everybody to do is to look at that little message notes thing. And the bottom of there, there's a little section for you to reflect on this question. We'll give you a minute to reflect on it right now. I want you to write something down. Here's the question. What can you do to bring eternity to the forefront of your finances? I know it's kind of a vague question. Hopefully, uh, the message has clarified what we mean by that. So be as specific and tangible as you can. What can you do? What can you do to bring eternity to the forefront of our finances? Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.